0: Hey, and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 258. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today I'm really excited to dive into the topic of leadership and management, specifically how to manage people well and effectively in building trust with your team during this wild and crazy and uncertain time. Today, I am sitting down with a good friend of mine, Lauren Piner, who is an incredible and accomplished entrepreneur here in the Denver metro area. Lauren started her own dog walking company, Positively Pooches. 10 years ago now, after a few years in the banking industry. And now her company is one of the biggest dog walking operations in the metro area, with 20 employees often doing over 400 walks a week. Now, obviously, those numbers have changed a little bit. Since the start of this global pandemic, which Lauren and I are going to talk more about. But to give you a little bit more background on Lauren, she splits her time now between running her business, mentoring new entrepreneurs, and coaching people who are considering starting a business via her website, laurenpiner.com, where she writes a blog called Succeed Through Failure, which is really interesting for anyone thinking about starting their own business. Definitely worth checking out. She focuses on the honest experiences of the ups and downs of entrepreneurship and how changing your perspective can change everything. And today, she's sitting down with me to talk through how things are going with her team during this pandemic and what leadership lessons she's learning right now. So Lauren, thanks so much for being here on the Boss Up podcast. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. All right. So first of all, Lauren, it's been a little while since we last spoke at the very start of this whole pandemic. You joined me on a fantastic panel all about, frankly, getting through this. How is your business doing on, you know, six months later?
1: Yeah. um, So Positively Pooches is doing okay. We're definitely still much reduced rates. We're probably around 40 to 50% of what we normally are, Mm -hmm. which is tough. I mean, people don't want strangers in their house, which makes sense at this point, but that's kind of how we make our living. So that makes things challenging. Um, So we have worked hard to keep the clients we have. We've tried to pivot some of our advertising to reach healthcare workers because they really need Mm. some support right now. And we're just starting to see some of the returns on that. So hopefully we'll start creeping back up. Uh, usually for us, when kids go back to school, we see a pretty big mm-hmm. spike. So if kids go back to school, then that should make a pretty big difference for us too. Um, but right now it's definitely tough. We're coming to the end of our PPP and mm-hmm. that puts me in an unfortunate situation. So
0: Yeah. Tell me about that because I think... The biggest challenge for so many leaders and managers right now has been communicating certainty in an environment full of uncertainty. And I wonder, like, how have you been handling this with your staff? Give me a sense of how many dog walkers you managed, and if that's changed at all, like, how have you approached managing their expectations?
1: It's almost hard to not appear like a liar because you act on the information you have at the time and then the information changes. And so you have to hmm. change what you said. And that is definitely challenging because I worked really hard to build trust with my staff and to make sure that they knew that they were getting, you know, a transparent information from me <laughs> when the right. information changes. Uh, sometimes that puts, puts us all in a weird position, but, you know, we try to do we were doing regular like zoom meetings in the beginning Uh just because so much was changing so quickly i wanted to get all of the information i could to to them in every way like in the safest and most convenient way for all of us um so i would run like a regional zoom meeting for each group. So I would do like five zoom meetings a week for each one for each region and we just kept doing that every other week or so. Now, you know, we've been sort of in a status quo for a little while. So we did a video, I just recorded a video and sent it to them. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, that worked really well. That was a new system for us and it it was kind of a combo to update them on where we're at and Get some like new protocols out to them. We obviously made some changes when COVID happened, and because we're in people's houses, so we wash our hands, right. we wear masks, we do all that stuff. So this video was kind of a way to, you know, put it all on—not on paper, but you know, right. on video. It's like a video. <laughs> so.
0: It's a video SOP almost, which is something we we talk a lot about with our our leaders. In our level up program, we do, we have a month focused on delegation and people management and just putting all of your systems and your standard operating procedures down in some way, whether it's screenshots, a workflow kind of click through process, checklist, or video, is just so important for standardizing. Processes, especially when those health and safety processes have to change. I think that's really smart.
1: Yeah. And that's why we did it like that. We, so I actually sent the video out and then we, I made a really brief quiz that. As long as you had watched the video, you you knew the answers. If you hadn't watched the video, you might, you might not. But that was just to make sure that everybody looked at the video because if you know, if somebody does get sick, I want to make sure I can say, like, you know, we did everything possible. Like everybody that works here right. saw this video. You can see that they understood it you know so that was really effective and i think i think because there was a quiz people paid attention a little bit more than they might have normally cuz i don't know about you but i get distracted on videos all the time so i think that worked really well and it's probably something i'll continue to use um even after covid uh so you know i mean at least
0: it's a good measurement tool and just like a feedback loop yeah. um and it might even be possible to create a feedback loop at the end of the quiz, like, do you have any questions that wasn't answered or something like that, so you can measure and open the door to two-way conversation. I I love that. I'm gonna steal that idea. <laughs> That's a great management tactic. And how many people are, are are directly reporting into you in this capacity? You
1: know, it changes still. Like, even though we we are running at a lower capacity, we're still we still had to hire some people because mm-hmm. um, we lost some other people mostly who moved home or actually got a job in their field, which is really exciting for them. So we're we're hovering around, you know, 13 to 15. We were up to 20 at our busiest, but the people we have now aren't really part-time for the most part. They, you know, they're working not necessarily 40 hours, but five days a week. You know, they're they're consistent. They're kind of the core staff.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, it just goes to show you when you have that many people you need to communicate with, you got to get creative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's a really, that was going to be one of my questions. Like, has your communication practices, have they changed? And it sounds like they have from live Zoom meetings, which I think everyone's a little fatigued from, yeah. to video communications. You know, what are the concerns you're hearing from them? How are you trying to assuage those those anxieties? You know, I, most of their concerns,
1: much like, Uh, mine, frankly, is uh, like, how long is this going to last? And are we going to survive it, basically? Um, You know, I mean, the company is definitely going to survive. I'm not, I'm not concerned about that. But we worked really hard to get the staff that we have, and I don't want to lose any of them. So right, you know, that just puts us in a little bit of a challenging situation and it's hard to reassure people when you're nervous yourself, but that's kind of what you have to do as a manager and generally a pretty optimistic person. And I, you know, I think we'll be okay. I'm not like terrified all the time, but there's definitely times when I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm stressed about it because there's, I think I'm so used to, after 10 years in business, I'm so used to being able to make changes, like if something goes wrong, I can fix it. That's my job. But I can't really do that right now. Like there, I can't fix a global pandemic all by myself, unfortunately. So, um, <laughs> so you know, it definitely makes it it's, it's frustrating to be stuck in that loop where, you know, like you're so used to being the problem solver and you just can't.
0: Mm, yeah, that I can relate to that very hard. Yeah, I feel like this is a an interesting period of learning to manage through the unmanageable right like actually learning to manage expectations cash flow people emotions your own mental state which is hard enough yeah in a in an environment that you really don't have that much control over can be so not just debilitating but just what's the word i'm looking for it's just like you're grasping at straws some days that's how i yeah. feel how do you as a leader balance vulnerability with leadership you know like h- how about the days when you feel like you don't want to get out of bed how are how are you managing your own emotional state when it comes to dealing with people who are looking to you for guidance
1: it's a little bit easier for me because i'm not I mean, obviously not many people are in an office with other people right now, but I'm Mm. also not, I don't have to do daily Zoom calls, you know? So uh, Mm. if I'm having a really bad day, that's probably not the best day for me to communicate with my staff if I don't have to. Right. That works in my favor. If I do have to communicate with staff and I'm just in a bad place, I try to remember um, all the things that I do have. And... I try to think about what I would want to hear if I were them, because I wouldn't want I wouldn't want my boss to lie to me. Like I wouldn't want them to be like everything's totally fine if everything's not fine. Yeah, you know, I mean, I worked for City Financial Auto in two thousand eight, so you can imagine how that went. Uh, And I remember it was so frustrating to just be. Essentially, lied to all the time, and I understand why they do that in a in a massive corporation like that because you know that's mm. not everybody's going to go, and you don't know who, and so I get it to some extent. But in in my in my company, where you know we all know each other, that I think in that situation, it's really important to be a little transparent. I mean, you don't want to be a Debbie Downer because that's just going to ruin everybody's day. But I do think it's okay to say like yeah, this sucks a little bit, like, or a lot, depending on what's going and, and to say, but like, here's what we're doing to try and fix it or to try and survive it. And I think that makes a big difference because acknowledging that something is bad, but also that there are things we're doing to try and handle it kind of allows them to relate to you in a certain way and gives them a little bit of hope. I hope that's, you know, that's my goal.
0: You hit the nail on the head when you were talking about trust because I think this is just as true in bigger companies, but it's harder to measure than it is in a smaller company. But the return on the investment of trust is so incredible, you know, like the the team you've built over the past 10 years, those relationships, that foundation, that that fact that they rely on you and believe in you and trust you. Me, it results in like a commitment, a work ethic, a loyalty that is so hard to earn any other way. So like for me as a manager of people and as a leader, I feel like am I operating with integrity like that to me is my litmus test for myself, because as long as I'm operating with integrity, I can I can stand by my my statements and my actions and people get consistency from me. You know what I mean? Like that's what creates trust and that is invaluable. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's like you can't buy that in any other way. So, the people I hear from especially in this work from home mass environment that is re- it's really throwing micromanagers for a loop because they can't peer over their shoulders of their employees and see this productivity I'm a little surprised by some of my friends in management who are like extremely suspicious of their staff's productivity levels right now when research shows we're all being more productive on the whole. Yeah. So, you know, I just I think it's an interesting litmus test right now for leaders who lead from a place of trust and who value trust and building trust versus those who don't.
1: I have to trust my dog walkers more than, you know, your average manager yeah. because I'm not there. And, you know, of course we have clients who have cameras and stuff. Sometimes, I mean, now sometimes clients are home, but, and so I, am not going to sit here and tell you a dog walker has never been caught doing something they shouldn't have usually just shortening their walks. But uh, I have to assume that my dog walkers are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Mm. And I, because I can't, I physically can't micromanage them. There's no way I could follow them all around. I mean, I can do spot checks and stuff sometimes, but even that is a lot of labor. Like that would be me driving to a client's house and like hiding around the corner to make sure (laughs) they do a 30 minute walk or whatever. And like the, the, I, I will say I've done that one time and it was because we had a client who was complaining about a dog walker that I didn't think was doing that. And so before I confronted the dog walker, I wanted to make sure that this was actually happening and it was, it wasn't, it was, it was just a client who, you know, was being overly particular and not, <laughs>
0: Yeah. it was
1: like 29 minutes instead of 30 or something. And I was like, I'm not gonna, right. I'm not gonna have a conversation about this, but, but like having to trust my dog walkers in so many ways before this has helped and and I think they have to trust me to a certain extent too. And I think we, I don't, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I feel like, <laughs> um, you know, this is a core group of staff that I don't want to see go anywhere. So right. I think I'm going fight, to fight to keep them. And I think that they know that. And that means that they're going to fight to do a good job.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. I think for managers who feel paranoid suspicious or even rightfully suspicious a friend of mine was telling me that um they have that software that measures when their employees are at their computers and when Mm -hmm. they're not part of me thinks that that kind of thing backfires because people feel micromanaged and then it makes them want to rebel a little bit but she'll say like you know one of her staff will be on at eight a m and then off for three hours. And she'll be like, "What is going on? This happens every Monday. You know, this person is just away from their computer for three hours every morning. It's like they've barely worked a day at all. And I asked her, Did, is like, are they getting their work done? <laughs> like what are we what are we caring about here? You know what I mean? And so it, it's just interesting. I, I think it's a real litmus test of relationship building. And it sounds to me like your hiring decisions are really paying off if you have that kind of core staff that you trust, who you feel trusts you. I almost wonder if that's just a byproduct of hiring.
1: My manager does most of the hiring now, but some of the people that we have have been have been with us for years, which in you know a dog walking company is is fairly unusual there's you know there's usually a couple, but you know the people that we have now. Uh, have been with us, I think almost all of them have been with us for at least a year, yeah, which is great. And you know, it's a good job for people who just want to do some work and get paid and not don't like to be micromanaged because, it, like I said, I can't, so
0: there's a lot of autonomy there, yeah.
1: There, I mean, they get a lot of free reign in a lot of ways as long as they're doing the work, kind of in our case, like obviously, if they weren't going to walks they had scheduled in a three hour window, that would be a problem. But as long as their walks are getting done, like, I don't care which order they do it in. Or, you know, I I always thought that was a strange thing. I used to work from home for a city, too. And it was like you had to you couldn't let your screen go dark. And it was it was just so weird because I was I was so productive in the morning and I just wasn't productive in the afternoon. But I was doing the work of like one and a half people anyway.
0: Like so right. it's, like, did it
1: really matter that I didn't want to work after one? I don't think it did, but they did.
0: So it's like measure what matters, right? That's one of the lessons that I'm definitely taking away from this. Measure what matters and chill out on the rest. Like arbitrary rules do nothing but rob people of their autonomy and give managers a false sense of control. Yeah. And it's like, I, I hope that in this era in which virtual workplaces have been forced upon all of us, that as managers of people, we can acknowledge that, you know, everyone wants to feel a sense of autonomy. So managers who are grasping desperately at power through micromanaging metrics are going to that's all gonna backfire on you ultimately, right?
1: Well, yeah. And you should have something better for your managers to do then chase your employees in my opinion I mean I don't I I wouldn't want to pay someone just to babysit you know like
0: Wait. I I
1: want them to be my primary manager does uh hiring and stuff but she's also like the first point person for any kind of problem that comes up so dog walker gets to the house the key's not there they text Jordan first and you know she can help unwind that for them Uh, and it gives her the freedom to get like her other stuff done, you know, throughout the day, as long as she's available for dog walkers that need her. Like she, you know, if she wants to like clean her kitchen in the middle of the day, that's fine. As long as, you know, like somebody gets hired and dog walkers aren't abandoned and she's really good at that. So,
0: right. And then that frees you up to think as a, as a manager at the third level up bigger picture, forecasting, advertising, marketing, pivoting, all the entrepreneurial things that you've got to worry about, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. What do you feel like looking back on the past 6 months, your biggest learnings have been about leadership or management overall?
1: I think we normally think of crises as temporary. Yes, like, you know, a natural disaster or an accident or something like that and this really isn't that it's, it's kind of a marathon and not Mm -hmm. a sprint. And we're all running this marathon without having trained for it.
0: Yes. Yes. I love that metaphor. (laughs) So, uh, so I think one of
1: the things I learned is I had to let go of expectations. Like, you know, in the beginning, I was just like, okay, if we can make it three weeks, which is fine, like we can do that. No problem. We're you know, we're a successful business. We'll be fine. Then we'll get out of it. And that obviously didn't happen. And then it was like, okay, well, if we can make it like two months, then it'll be okay. Okay, well, just this summer. And now, you know, now we're headed into fall and, you know, it's not really better. And so what I learned is I had to let go of like holding on to that. I don't want to say I let go of my hope, but like I had to stop like putting faith in the, in the deadline because it just wasn't real. It wasn't a real deadline. Because I was going through so many swings of like, okay, everything's going to be fine on this day. And then it wasn't. And then it was like this like huge crash. That was probably the first like emotional lesson I had to learn.
0: Mm -hmm. I feel like you're reminding me of the Buddhist concept of detachment, of sort of flowing. You know, I always say bend, don't break whenever I say that to myself more than anything, which is like detaching from a specific outcome in order to be present in the process, which is almost annoying to even hear me say, because I am such a goal-oriented striver. And so are so many people listening to this podcast right now, but there's this whole narrative that like, you know, fuck 2020, like the viral song on TikTok. And we're all thinking this is going to be better next year. And I'm selling planners for 2021 saying, let's get the hell out of here. And it also might not, right? Like this, we could be in this for another year, two years, five years. Like it could be just bad for a while. And we can all hope for the best. But detaching that, okay, I can be happy when I can start living again, when I can relax, when... Uh, to a specific deadline, I agree, is is a challenge, but an important one for our own mental marathon, to borrow your term, that we're running. But keep wearing your masks. Nobody chill on that front yet. So what else came up for you?
1: I've had to deal with with different crises in running my business, but they're usually... um, somebody lost a key and we can't get in and the client is out of town, which is a crisis, but it's also a crisis with easy steps. I had had a lot of training on how to kind of keep a level head and figure out the best path forward. In this, it was a little bit more of a it was like that to the extreme because there was no right. like obvious path forward so i think the the first thing i did was try to educate myself i you know listened to the news i read the science articles and i read the political articles and um you know cuz that's where most of this comes from right like i need to know right. what we need to do to protect my staff and clients and i need to know what the government is going to do with the PPP so that I could keep my staff as long as possible. So, and then I had to make decisions and you can't, in something like this, you can't, you can take a day maybe, but you can't take weeks to like go through all the options available to you. And in my writing, I talk a lot about um, having like barometers in your life. And so those are like friends that, um, or colleagues that, You know, maybe they have more experience than you. Maybe they have a different perspective, but all all smart people who will listen to you and will tell you if you're making a bad choice. Uh, And so, you know, I mean, I I talked to some of my barometers after I had all the information. The trick with them is that you have to make sure you're not only asking the ones who are going to give you the answer you want. You have to ask the ones who are going to be honest with you. You know, that that was helpful. And then I had to make a decision. And once I made the decision, I had to make it and move forward. Ultimately, I was lucky in that the decisions I made were pretty good. But even if they weren't, I still had to go forward and then make another decision later if it wasn't working.
0: Right. Yeah. So just kind of shortening the time frame around deliberation, but still trying to make the best educated, informed decision you possibly can with what you have during the time frame you have to make that call. Right? Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, we all, it's small businesses especially, but, you know, even even management teams had to make decisions on how to change their operations really quickly. And so I think we've all made those decisions before, but we had, you know, days, weeks, months to make the choices. And in this case, if you took over a week, you took too much time, and like you might not get that PPP or you might you know not be able to get the the small business loan or whatever, or you might have kept people at, like you might have decided not to get get any loans or anything, but then you kept people that you can't pay now. right, right. And yeah. so you know you had to make the decisions and make them quickly.
0: Yeah, that's real. I feel for you. (laughs) I feel your stress. I feel like it's really easy when you're not in a position of making those calls to be a critic, right? I think um, Brene Brown really popularized that great, I think it's Teddy Roosevelt quote about it's not the critic who counts, the person in the ring who's making the calls, who's getting back up, who's dusty, who's baiting, who's you know, brushing themselves off, getting up and trying again. And there's so much power and vulnerability in taking responsibility as a leader for decision-making that will impact others. And it is easy when you're not in the decision-making seat to say that was a bad call. And I think that's part of the thankless nature of leadership sometimes, which is you're the one who's got to be making the toughest calls that people aren't going to like for the sake of hopefully doing what's right or doing what's best for everybody in the long term. And
1: I think it's important to keep everybody's best interests in mind, because I think a lot of times people assume if you have to lay people off, then, you know, you did it wrong. And, and I don't think that's true. I mean, I I hope I don't have to get to that point, but, you know, I think sometimes trying to string someone along, especially in a company like mine where like, you know, people are mostly hourly, so I don't have to lay you off, but maybe you're only getting two hours of work a week. Like that's not, that's not better for
0: them. Totally. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that's what the social safety nets we have are meant to do anyway, right? That's why unemployment is so important and why social programs are important in general. I think we're seeing that now more than ever. I could talk to you forever about this, but I do want to be respectful of your time and your little puppers in the background there. <laughs> what are any final thoughts, lessons you're taking from this or words that you want to leave our audience with? The
1: best you can do
0: is try to educate yourself into where you need to go
1: and where you need to be. You know, take take some time if you have it to do some soul searching and you know, make sure that the choices you're making are serving you and the people that you manage if everybody is telling you something is wrong you know think about it because you know maybe everybody is right but um but if you know in your gut that the choice you're making is the right choice then you know make that choice because you're the one that has to live with it not them
0: yeah absolutely where can our listeners read more of your writing and and keep up with you
1: yeah, uh so I have a blog laurenpiner.com/stf. You can find it if you just go to laurenpiner.com. It's the blog. But yeah, that's where I do most of my writing. I I do a blog every week and I wrote one about crisis management too cuz why not?
0: <laughs> nice. We'll link to that in uh in the show notes today as well. So, thank you so much Lauren for sharing your experiences with us. I wish you all the best during this crazy marathon we're all running. And uh, keep in touch. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Thanks for the invite. This was really fun.
0: Head to bossedup.org slash episode 258 to get all of today's show notes and blog references and links to laurenpiner.com and all kinds of great things, um, as well as to get more details on Level Up, that leadership and management program I mentioned which is reopening now for an October 1st start date. We are relaunching Level Up, which has been... One of our most beloved new offerings for women managers and aspiring managers who want to level up their leadership skills through an intensive six month program with me and a variety of our talented Bossed Up Trainer team members who cover topics like people management and delegation, Crafting and communicating your leadership vision, being a better boss with emotional intelligence, and creating... Uh, psychological safety for your team. I mean, we cover so much and you meet such incredible women. If you want to learn more about Level Up, enrollment is reopening now for a fall start at bossuporg slash level up. And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week. This week's boss move comes in from Chelsea in the Bossed Up Courage community who writes this, just did my first big girl salary negotiation at age 31. Ha ha. Wish I had this four job positions ago. Thank you for the awesome Bossed Up book, podcast, and free negotiation resource guide. They were my guiding lights. Aw, thanks, Chelsea. I'm so glad to hear that. She goes on to say, I asked for more than their job post salary range and highlighted my quadruple job experience and skill set. At first, they didn't go for my higher salary rate but I negotiated stipends for my monthly bus pass expense and a stipend to help pay my health insurance expense since they don't provide health insurance. They asked me to type the negotiated job offer up after my interview. And this morning, instead of signing my typed up offer, they called to counter offer me my full asking rate instead. So crunching the numbers, that's more than those two negotiation pieces, the bus stipend and insurance costs, so I'm extremely thrilled. It was an awkward experience to be asked how much I wanted to be paid during an interview, even after being told that they wanted me to start right away. But I'm so glad that my patient response refocused the interview to my skills and job experience and stuck to my guns. I feel extremely more valued and relieved to be back to work after a month of unemployment. Benefits haven't even gone through yet, so zero income for four weeks. My new boss said he's never paid someone as high of a rate as what we agreed upon, but I told him he'll never have someone as dedicated as me on his team. Boom! (laughs) Thank you, Emily, for sparking my inner boss mode. Yes, Chelsea. First of all, I love that you ended this with boom. Ellie on our team makes fun of me a little bit uh, because I am one to say the same. But booyah, Chelsea. Hell yeah. This is amazing. Way to negotiate in the middle of a pandemic. When you know someone in the middle of an interview says something like, we want you to start right away, the ball is in your court. And you clearly made the most of it. So congratulations, May you serve as an inspiration to us all. Now, if you're looking for more negotiation know-how and want to negotiate like a boss, just like Chelsea did, head to bossstep.org slash negotiation to snag our free comprehensive step-by-step negotiation guide. Congrats again, Chelsea. So proud of you. All right, boss. Now I want to hear from you. What did you think about today's conversation with Lauren? Are you a manager in a similar position, having to communicate honestly and trying to build trust with your team while information changes on a daily basis? How are you sustaining yourself through the marathon that this crisis is turning out to be? Weigh in at the comments section at bossedip.org slash episode 258 or share your thoughts with me directly on social media at BOSTUPorg or at Emily Arius. And until next time, let's keep our spirits high. Let's keep on (laughs) trucking. And as always, as the first black women's club of America said way back in 1896, let's keep lifting as we climb.